there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. This show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Now for some of the latest news in crypto, brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. Bitcoin is back to the 50k USD level, and we're starting to see a return of the institutional adoption news that was so dominant in the opening quarter of 2021. For example, BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager with 9 trillion USD under management, has invested close to 383 million USD in Bitcoin mining companies. And if that wasn't enough, Wells Fargo and JP Morgan are working with an investment services company to offer Bitcoin investment exposure to their respective client bases. In Australian NFT news, the rebound, a show that screens on the Nine network, is auctioning off a tokenized episode that will see the winning bidder become part of the show's next season. Meanwhile, superstar Lionel Messi has dropped an NFT, the Messiverse, on the Affinity Marketplace. This is part of his deal with his new employer's Paris Saint-Germain. Okay, that's all of the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to the Kraken Intelligence newsletter at kraken.com. Now for my guest on today's show. It's a pleasure to introduce you to Tegan Klein from the Graph Protocol. Tegan, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I guess my, my first question for you is, you know, how did you first get involved in crypto? Absolutely. Yeah, I learned about Ethereum almost six years ago now. I was at an event and a friend was telling me about Ethereum for, I think, almost three hours we were, we were talking. And what really solidified it for me was how tangible he made it. He actually downloaded Coinbase on my phone and sent me a quarter of an Ether, which at the time was like $30. And sorry that it wasn't Kraken, if it's any uh, consolation. I did advance from Coinbase to Kraken pretty quickly back in the days uh, when I was kind of a, a wild trader. Um, and, you know, I think there's no better way to learn than kind of like throwing yourself in there. So I was a very appreciative of the, the Kraken platform for, for allowing that. Um, and coming from the sales and trading floor at Barclays, that was kind of a natural in, in, into the blockchain space. Uh, but really what resonated about Ethereum for me was just really seeing that opportunity to kind of create a new financial system, redistribute resources and kind of create a new internet. And now fast forward six years and that's exactly what we're doing. That's really interesting. I, I, I think there's a fair few people who have come from traditional markets um, into, into crypto. And, you know, that first conversation that you had, uh, what, what was the main thing that piqued your interest when, when you know, you sat down and you talked to someone three hours about, about Ethereum? What was the thing that's, that spoke to you then? Yeah, well, I had actually learned about Bitcoin in 2011. I tried to buy it. It was too hard. And I kind of put it in the back of my mind and went and pursued a traditional career on Wall Street. But when I learned about Ethereum, that's really when it clicked. And when it kind of exploded from just money to any asset class, any use case, um, because of smart contracts, you can actually have a contract without a lawyer involved and you can execute that peer to peer. Um, and that for me was really, really powerful. Um, and the other thing is just anytime you see the, the, this innovation, anytime like Bitcoin was the first time we were able to send money peer to peer without any government, any bank, any any intermediary in the middle. Um, and that for me was very profound. And I think anytime you see 
something new that can't be done before, you need to pay attention because so much more innovation is is to follow. And then it was Ethereum and then DeFi with the flash loans and you know now NFTs and DAOs. And we're really seeing so much innovation and, and there's just so much more to come. I really do feel like crypto is going to really infiltrate almost every area that we that we operate in. I I agree firstly, but also I think you know you hit the nail on the head there when it comes to this idea of disintermediation. Um, and I guess that brings me to my next question. You know, we've got this decentralized platform for money, you know, things like Bitcoin, we've got decentralized platforms for smart contracts or, or, or kind of programs that might run. We talk about Ethereum being one of those, and there's obviously other versions of these kinds of platforms, but Ethereum is one that everyone knows. Um, so so what what's the evolution then? I, I mean, the graph is a really interesting project, but it's quite complex. So I'd like to start kind of at the bottom if we can. Um, so so people might not have heard of the, the word DAP, but, but a decentralized app. Tell me a little bit about um, where the graph fits into the cryptosphere and, and kind of what the graph is. Absolutely. Yeah. So the graph is like open, you can think of it like an open data layer on top of blockchains. So the graph actually helps to decentralize Ethereum and other blockchains. And the graph is integral infrastructure for the web or the decentralized web, which I like to call Web3. And the graph helps to organize on-chain blockchain data and serve that to developers that are building dApps, like you said, decentralized applications, so that they can access that data quickly and efficiently and build really amazing products and focus on really great user experience. Um, Web3 is kind of replacing the traditional Web2, which you know very well by the applications that exist on the internet, uh, like Google, Facebook, Amazon. Uh, But the problem with these applications, in my opinion, is the centralization of them causes them to gatekeep our data. And they then start to monetize that data by selling us ads. Some of these platforms even make us the product and sell our data in the background. And so I don't believe that that is the, the final version of the internet. I think the internet was created to do much more than what it's doing currently. And I think blockchains are the answer to that, the future of the internet. Um, and so the graph, it's kind of like a decentralized version of Google. Google index and indexes and serves all of the world's data. And when I say index, you can really just think of like organize. So for example, like when the graph started on Ethereum, there was a lot of great data on Ethereum, but it was really difficult to access that data. And I kind of compare this to like walking into a library, wanting to buy a book, but imagine the library is not, like the books aren't organized at all. They're just thrown everywhere. And so you have to spend hours and hours looking for that book. And the graph organizes those books and puts them on shelves in alphabetical order so that when you come into that library, you can immediately find the book you're looking for. And that's what the graph is doing with data on on blockchains. Um, And so the graph supports right now over 24 different networks. So Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Avalanche, Moonbeam, Clover, all of those applications or all of those networks are supported by the graph. And also layer twos, um, layer two blockchains like Arbitrum and soon Optimism, side chains like Polygon, Oracle networks like Chainlink, uh, storage networks like IPFS. So really helping all of these different networks access that data or the developers to access that data in in an efficient way. Okay. So there's so many cool things to talk about uh, after that brief introduction. Um, 
I think one of the the key points though is that um, you guys and the graph as a protocol is an organization layer, but it itself is a decentralized organization layer. Am I right in that? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's no point, in my opinion, to build centralized infrastructure on decentralized blockchains. And so you can have centralized infrastructure. And we've had really great centralized infrastructure that's allowed us to kind of get to where we are today. But I view that all as a temporary solution. And the future is a fully decentralized stack. And so the graph decentralizes that stack at the indexing and query layer. Um, and with that, there's a protocol, there's um, different token economics. So anyone listening can actually participate in the graph network and earn GRT for the work that they provide to that network. And there are many roles that are, some are non-technical and others are quite technical. So really like we're creating a new internet and we need all voices from around the table, biz, like business skill sets, technical, non-technical alike. But yes, you're absolutely right. So the concept of the graph started four years ago, and we've chosen a path towards decentralization, but one that is kind of progressive decentralization. And so the graph launched a hosted service a little over 18 months ago. That hosted service saw parabolic growth, and that just speaks to the growth on Ethereum in terms of development and users. And so it went from like 1 billion queries in June of last year to over 25 billion queries in um in May of last or May of this year. And the the queries you can just kind of think of search. It's like searching data on an application. So I'm sure many of the listeners have used like a coin market cap or a coin gecko. And if you used either of those platforms, you've actually inter- interacted with the graph. But the whole point of the graph is to kind of be hidden. And so um, coin market cap, coin gecko, Mazari, they all use subgraphs that are created and subgraphs are just open APIs um, that are pulling data from blockchains. And so an example of that is like a uniswap.info that's using a subgraph to pull data from Ethereum as an example. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I, I think um, the, the concept of um, organizing data is one that people understand and the, and the concept of decentralization is one that people understand. Um, and like we are, and I think you're right, we're kind of almost in this kind of cul-de-sac when it comes to the way the internet is organized where, with the service providers' models being, you know, essentially the biggest biggest tech players in the world all rely on owning their users' data and, and selling it and monetizing it. How does, how does the graph, how does the value chain in the graph work, you know, when you pitch it and you pit it up against um, something like the way that Google operates, when you're talking about the graph, how does value flow uh, for all the people? How do you incentivize people to be part of that? I know you mentioned kind of earning GRT, but w- what actions are they doing, and, and how and how are they incentivized to be part of this part of this world? Yeah, I think that tokens are the next evolution of the business model, and instead of revenue going to a centralized person or a centralized company, that revenue should actually flow peer to peer in that protocol, and that's exactly what the graph does, and so. Um, In the graph, there are three roles that you can earn GRT. There's 
delegation, which is the least technical role. Anyone can kind of delegate GRT. It's kind of by earning passive income. Uh, you can earn about 10% to 20%, depending on which indexer you choose. And the indexers are the ones that are doing the heavy lifting. They're l literally the backbone of the future of the internet. You know, Web2 has one Google. The graph network has over 150 indexers, which are kind of like little Googles, as an example. And those indexers, they stake on subgraphs. And subgraphs, like I mentioned, are open APIs. But because it's a permissionless network, anyone can spin up a subgraph. So you can spin up a Kraken subgraph. I can spin up a Kraken subgraph. We both call it the same thing. How will the indexers know which one's the legitimate one? They'll know that by the curators, which is the third role in the graph network. And the curators are like open data alpha finders. They're looking for the new cool subgraphs. And really anyone who's good at investing, anyone who's good at trading, anyone who has used like a smartphone before could become a great curator um, because the curators are looking for new cool subgraphs on the graph network um, and they're, they're minting signal on a bonding curve. And that just means that the earlier you are to that subgraph, the, the more you earn. Um, and it sounds quite complex, but if you go to thegraph.com, it's actually just a few clicks to kind of get started. Um, and I recommend maybe starting out as a delegator because the hardest part of delegating is just deciding which indexer you're choosing. Um, and then once you delegate, you can kind of let it, let it sit, but you do want to watch the indexer to make sure that they are performing well. Um, and so those are the three roles in which you can earn GRT in the graph ecosystem. That's really interesting. And um, I, I, I guess this idea that you are kind of creating a decentralized Google, it's a really catchy way of talking about it. Um, the, um, the end goal here, though, is to allow dApps to flourish and to, for developers to be able to, um, yeah, do a much better job of um, of building these kinds of decentralized uh, applications. What what are some of the really interesting um, dApps that are? I mean, you mentioned some more kind of centralized um, services that we're familiar with. You know, uh, CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap. What other projects? Um, are, are planning or are using um, uh, the graph already? Yeah, so there's actually over 20,000 developers that have created over 18,000 lifetime subgraphs. And so this is for applications that we know and love in the space, like Uniswap, Synthetix, Aave, Gnosis, Numeri, LivePeer, Mint-based, um, NFTs like Known Origin, Zora, Foundation. And so, so many applications, I would say the majority of applications on Ethereum and other blockchains are using and leveraging the graphs technology so that they can focus on just building really great applications that are better than centralized applications. And I think Foundation is a great example of this. Foundation is an NFT art marketplace. And I actually enjoy using Foundation more than I enjoy using like eBay, for example. And so I think we're going to see more and more of that as the Web3 stack kind of solidifies and comes together. And my like, what I envision the future is that any um, that spinning up a DAP is as easy as spinning up a website today. I hope that it becomes that simple. And I think that it will once that Web3 stack does solidify. So that's the mission, I guess, isn't it? And that, that's what you guys are trying to drive towards, which is, you know, and, and reading, I guess, from your site, which is, you know, an, enabling internet applications to be entirely powered by public infrastructure. And it's a super exciting, it's a super exciting uh, end goal. 
what one you know just playing devil's advocate now i think you know, one of the things that people do know about decentralized architecture is that it's expensive at the moment. Like, it, you know, people talk about trading on decentralized apps and, and or even just, you know, decentralized exchanges and, and try, which is the, the first point of contact I think a lot of people have with decentralized architecture is through these um, DEXs. And they're like, oh, my God, I have to spend so much money on gas fees. So, so what are the blockers? What are the, what are the big challenges? Other than just kind of getting developers on board, what are the big challenges in, in the in the space, I've just mentioned kind of scalability at the base layer. What other challenges are you guys facing, and what do you see as the, the hardest things that you guys need to, to to sort out? Yeah, well, I definitely think it is the summer of scaling Ethereum. It's great to see so many solutions kind of pop up to help Ethereum scale, and the graph is there to support all of these scaling solutions uh, at the time of their launch, like um, Polygon, Arbitrum Optimism, and and all the other great layer twos and, and side chains. Um, and I believe that the future is multi-blockchain. So that's why the graph supports many different networks. Right now, as I mentioned, the graph supports 23 different networks, but really wherever developer developers go, the graph will be. And I think that Ethereum will always kind of keep this like dominant space in, in the layer one category. But I, it's great to see other layer ones spin up like Solana and pull in more traditional finance folks into the space. Um, and like near Avalanche, all of these other chains are really great as well. Um, and so I believe that the future is definitely multi-blockchain. And I believe that these blockchains are the future of the Internet. But in terms of, you know, the next big challenge for crypto, you know, I've been in this space for, for six years and I've believed from the beginning, but it's great to see now a lot of this coming to fruition. You know, there was once the narrative that there are no users in Ethereum and now there are, you know, thousands, if not millions of people using the this technology. And so it's great to see that and it's great to see these applications start to compete with centralized applications. And I believe that is the future. I believe all of the centralized internet will move on to the blockchain space. Um, and that really is kind of the, the mission and the goal that we're, we're driving to. Um, but I do think like we're still a little ways away from mass adoption. And so I think solidifying that Web3 stack will really help with mass adoption. And what do you say, you know, I guess some people talk about enterprise adoption uh, being blocked by decentralization um, at its source because they can't, as listed companies, kind of deal with this stuff. Do you, do you think that's surmountable? I don't think they want to. They don't want to open up their data and make it public because that's their business model. You know, I know a lot of enterprises spent a ton of money looking at how they can add blockchains to their companies, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think the best thing that, that institutions can do is just buy Bitcoin by Ethereum and participate in this public infrastructure. And obviously, if there is some data, they, they would be open to making public so that other people can develop with that. I think that's great, but I, I think it would be really rare to see. I think it's like a, you could say this is a, a Schumpeter's kind of creative destruction moment here. You're not talking about adoption in terms of existing enterprise taking, taking hold of, of this stuff. You're talking about complete disruption. Yes, I, I, that's my view. I think that a lot of traditional companies have kind of gotten involved in a great way. For example, like Microsoft getting involved in kind of developer tooling with Azure. That's been great to see. Um, but I, I, and it's been also great to see like a mass exodus from Web 2 into Web 3. We're seeing a lot of really great talent 
join the blockchain space. For example, at Edge and Node, we've recently hired uh, someone from Google, some from, someone from Airbnb, AWS. So a lot of people are coming into the space. And we're also seeing a lot of people leaving those comfy jobs and creating their own applications in this space, raising a ton of money and, and kind of participating in this this revolution. But yes, I, I do kind of look at it as more of disruption as opposed to kind of joining forces um, just because it, there, there is a lot of disruption that, that needs to happen. Okay, cool. Well, I, I, I think I'm leaning towards your view of the world. Um, but that being said, I have seen some, some kind of moves by by traditional players and you, you never know which way things will go but i think if you're talking about building a new web um there's going to be so many opportunities for new businesses to get ahead of this right and become the first players so so i guess from from my point of view like you know before i let you go what i want to know is what's coming next for the graph you mentioned that you've got a um you're going to be rolling out a more decentralized model what what other things are on your horizons and, and what what what's over the horizon yeah, so we recently had a, a product launch that really brought the graph into full form. Curation went live with that product launch in July. In less than a month, over 2,000 curators started minting signal on that bonding curve that I mentioned on those different subgraphs that were migrating over. And then with that product launch, subgraphs could now migrate over in a permissionless way. And over uh, 200 subgraphs have already migrated, so from 8 to 200 in less than a month. So that's quite substantial growth. Um, and then the Graph Foundation also announced two, you can think of them like decentralized mergers and acquisitions, but really kind of core dev grants um, to two teams, Streaming Fast and Figment that were previously kind of building in a centralized way in this similar space. And they've actually kind of deprecated those products and now they're fully focused on providing development for the Graph ecosystem and they're fully on board with the the mission of the graph protocol. And I think that the, like I believe that protocols are the future. I think that you know protocols are really going to kind of eat the world and I think this is direct evidence of that. Nothing centralized can compete with a decentralized protocol. Um, and so that's been great to see and and it's further further decentralizes the core developers that are focusing on the graph. Previously, it was Edge and Node, and now there's three core developer teams, kind of all autonomous, but focused on the same mission. Um, but what's coming up, we have, I mean, so much adding support for, for more chains. The chains that are being focused on right now that have been announced are Optimism, which is a layer two blockchain, Anir and Solana, as well as Polkadot. So stay tuned for, for those integrations to complete. And then we also have some zero knowledge developers or sorry, researchers that are focused on adding privacy to the space. So we'll have a, an announcement about that coming up, but so much. And, and I'm just really excited to see all of the subgraphs that were on the hosted service migrate to the decentralized network now that that is fully live. There's so much coming. And, um, I, and I think it's, a, it's one of the more dynamic Kind of prospects really is seeing the emergence of interoperability really via these kinds of protocols um, and, and achieving the goal of of bringing decentralization to all the services that we love and and understand so thank i just want to thank you so much for for coming on the show Tegan, and bringing your energy in and your insight it's been it's been wonderful amazing yeah thank you so much for hosting me this has has been great and hopefully it was it was a little bit insightful to the listeners 
Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller and this has been the Crypto Frontier.